Welcome to Quest for the Questions. I'm Terry Wonder. I'm here with my co-host, Senior Rabbi Alexis Burke. And we are diving into the high holidays. It's coming up so fast. Although here, honestly, in the office, we've been talking about it since the day I arrived, which was February 1st. <laughs> They're right around the corner. <laughs> but the high holiday, I mean, because it's such a big deal in terms of engagement and people getting involved and also meaning in terms of how people, you know, extract from the experience of the high holidays into their greater lives. Yes. Um, and because I find them particularly fun and crazy. It's like, uh, it, to me, the high holidays, one I'm working at a temple is like, it's the summer camp season. It's like the Super Bowl, you yeah. know, where like everybody's here, all the things are happening, school's back, high holidays, all the things. And I, I love it. So I'm really excited to talk about these questions. Yeah, I love it too. I, there, there's, a, there's this socially acceptable uh, thing in Jewish professional life, especially rabbis, I think, uh, where somehow we're allowed to complain about the burden of high holidays. Like people will frequently say to me like, oh, I know it's, this must be just so hard for you. I'm like, I just can't imagine any other profession. <laughs> like, first of all, I just want to clarify once and for all, high holidays are my favorite time of year. They are my favorite. So I cannot, I, I don't really enjoy the sport of complaining, even if it's, of course, there's an intensity, there's an energetic lift. And I, I love that. I don't find it impossible. I don't think it's fun to complain about it. I don't like when rabbis publicly complain about it to the congregation. Mm. I'm like, that's kind of a buzzkill to the congregation who's trying to, like you said, extract beautiful meaning from it. If you think your your leader in that moment is just exhausted and burdened, right? That just feels like a such a, like a a diminishment of what a like. People are like, I bet you're just can't wait to get through this. I'm like, no, I'm savoring it. I'm loving it. I like it. I, w I don't want to get through it. On the other side, sometimes I feel a little let down, like, oh, guess we're back to the day to day and not this elevated, incredibly spiritual, sweet time. It's like on. It's like as if you went to a Broadway show on opening night and at the curtain call, the lead actor is like, aren't you glad that shit's over? Exactly. <laughs> I don't. Exactly. Or when... Um, when our son Seth was going through a medical thing, I would always imagine his surgeon being in an appointment with us being like, "Ugh, this surgery, I, I gotta tell you, it is hard. And at the end I am tired. And in the middle I get hungry and I don't, I wish I could just walk away because I'm so exhausted. Like who, what other perfect, like, what would I feel if the surgeon was like, "Ugh." Right. Absolutely. I just, so, well, I'm glad you don't feel that way. That's I what I do learned. not feel that way. And I, I just want to clarify that once and for all. I feel like and because I feel the congregation, every congregation I've ever served is always like tiptoes around it. Like, oh, I don't want to bother you when you have this huge burden. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate the respect of the space to create it. Mm -hmm. But I don't want people to feel like I know you're so miserable right now. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm just not at all. Is there a smell from childhood that reminds you of the high holidays in your family? Well, I feel like fall, we talked last time about the mm -hmm. change in light. I also think there's a change in smell in the fall mm -hmm. air. 
it's crisper. And I think in San Diego, there's like seasonal fragrance with all sorts of things from the sea air to the eucalyptus to Mm. just various, as Dr. Donald Miller calls it, photosynthesis that we smell in the beautiful San Diego um, just ecosystem. So nothing specific, I don't think. Do you? I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of food smells mm. for from when I was a kid that trigger that for me. But because my parents cook a lot, my mom would it would be like round hollas coming out of the oven every five minutes. It felt like, <laughs> but um, yum. Oh, yum. But it really is like one specific thing that I, I think about is like we used to do my synagogue at the time very small, didn't have a building. And we would do like this sunrise service in the foothills of the mountains in, in Albu- outside of Albuquerque, mm. the Sandia Mountains, which are named the Sandias because they turn the color of watermelon in the sunset. And so oh my God. They're, they're beautiful. And in the mornings, we would go up and do these sunrise services, right, before the actual big service. And so it was like quiet. It was dusty. Um, it was like the sun hadn't quite come up yet. You could hear like the skitter of lizards and animals. And, and there was mm-hmm. just like this New mexico smell of like dirt, yucca, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, just like the dry dryness, you know, and like crispness. Mm-hmm. And it was fall, um, which was just this beautiful smell. And I remember and there was a lot of intentional breathing in this in this congregation as part of this service so there was a lot of like breathing in and like taking in all the the nature sounds and smells and so that is like the smell that dusty new mexico morning smell that i associate with the high holidays and even when i was when i moved out here and even now when i like on rosh hashanah morning i'll like take a deep breath and that i'll remember that smell and i'll be like okay we're We've transitioned into a different time of the year. And I haven't been in New Mexico for the high holidays since I was like a teenager. So it's certainly stuck with me. Yeah. That's such a great story. Because I think the sensory smell and I think music, like one of my favorite things is because my uh, office is right off the sanctuary and always has been for my whole career when either the cantor or the choir is practicing, like I'll be writing and preparing Mm -hmm. and then the music will be sort of wafting in. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, Oh my, you know, that I feel like is very transporting as soon as those opening notes of certain melodies of, you know, Malkainu, Kol Nidre, you know, those kinds or, or even certain of the traditional liturgy just set to the high holy day, um, tropes. I, I just, it's immediately transporting. We have a few high holiday questions. We're going to get to one today. And then in the next episodes, we'll have some more in the lead up to Rosh Hashanah. Um, and if you have more high holiday questions, you're welcome to always submit them at any time in the link in the description. And we would love to hear what you have to say. And maybe this will jog some questions for you too. You ready? Yeah, ready. Excited. Hi, Terry. Hi, Rabbi. This is Suzanne. I love the new podcast. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much for making it happen. I've been reflecting on Andrew's question about fasting on Yom Kippur from the second podcast. And here is my question. Are there any smaller or more personal traditions that you've seen people use to embrace the spirit of the day? I know about the mitzvah of fasting and the tradition of wearing white, but how do people weave in more personal meaning? How can I make my high holy days more personally significant? 
Thank you. Wow, what a great question. And a great radio voice. Yes, for sure. I was sort of mesmerized just listening to her, as I often am. Hi, Suzanne. I think this is a great question. I think there's always the balance of the communal and the personal. And I think Yom Kippur is a very strong example of a holiday that is very profoundly communal. Like, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, Terry, where you've not been... uh, especially in your adult life, maybe not since you've worked in Jewish community for a lot of this, but where you've not had access to uh, Jewish community during Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah. It's very, sure. very strange. Mm-hmm. I have definitely had that experience, some, mostly sometimes by choice. Yeah. As a Jewish communal professional, you're like really in it so deeply. <laughs> and then it's like you kind of sometimes I, I'll t- I would take a break during that time. when I spent a lot of years working in synagogues, a lot of years not. And sometimes I would do Yom Kippur solo mm-hmm. and would find so, similar meaning in it different, but more individual mm-hmm. and less communal. Yes. And I've heard of others who either choose that or, or find that a day alone on Yom Kippur can feel like unusually painful. I've heard that from college students too, where they like, maybe they didn't love the Hillel. And so they just try to just take a day off classes, but then they're not in, class and they're not at synagogue and they don't they're like sort of at loose ends and I've had a lot of beautiful conversations about just what why that is why if you're a little untethered and yet it feels like such a personal reflection like the theme of the day the ask of the day is it's kind of like it's on you getting Mm -hmm. right with yourself others and the order of the universe. I mean, sort of just getting that relationship on track, all those relationships on track, which you can be in a room with thousands of people and, and the work is kind of individual, Mm -hmm. but somehow being in a room with a lot of people who are likely very reflective on the same themes can feel very connecting. I spent a, a, one of the things I, I've found in, in the last maybe five years uh, during the high holiday season, so much of the high holiday seasons around, as you said, like being reflective and kind of obviously atonement, but also like taking stock of like your own intentions and behaviors over the course of last year and thinking about the future. And I've found it challenging to do it just all in my own head Mm -hmm. and so like in the lead up to the high holidays it will be a reminder to me to start sourcing feedback from people Hmm. which is when i'll like start talking to like my friends or my parents or my partner or like colleagues and just like literally asking them for feedback either generally or specifically of like hey is there a thing that you've noticed in the last few months that you know you thought like that wasn't great that i did or something that was like surprising that i may have done or that bothered you or was good, you know, because it's hard for me to sort through all those things, you know, cause I'm a hard judge of myself and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I get to Rosh Hashanah and like that conversation is starting more formally with a congregation or in a synagogue, I've already like gotten the data, you know, <laughs> I did, very I did some spiritually of the re- scientific. I, know, I did some of the research already. So, and I feel like more prepared to like have that conversation with myself. I don't know if that's something you've ever done or have heard from other people, but I found it really helpful. Well, I must say that you may be the most gracious and constructive receiver of feedback that I've ever met in my entire life. Like (laughs) 
I, I mean, you've shared some stories with our team just about how you came to, from a relationship of not really liking feedback mm-hmm. to feeling like it's so crucial and, and trying to teach us all how to lean into that more. I would say ask you- and receive better more as though it is not, it, it should not be a source of alarm or like a big moment, but rather this ongoing loop of like, we are in relationship together saying things about how great things are going and how challenging certain things are is mm-hmm. crucial to relationship. And I, I I have enjoyed that training very much from you. Well, I would say that I was not, I was really bad at it for a really long time and like had to get, had to find ways to get better at it and, and to enjoy it, you know? And, and so, and it was a struggle struggle and still is, you know, like get, getting critical feedback. That's true. <laughs> still not easy, but it, I have found it to be so much more helpful. And it has, I remember being in a meeting six or seven years ago and having a discussion with my then boss and some other colleagues, and I was on the side of vulnerability at work, personal vulnerability and showing it at work was bad. And they were like, you were wrong. And then they, <laughs> my boss at the time, very smart person was like, you're going to spend all your time here learning how wrong you are about this question, about that stance. And he was totally right. He wow. was so right in the, in the, and in a really humbling way. And so, yeah, I, I, I think like Judaism has this built in time period where, we're supposed to be reflective about these things and it is really hard for people. And I think it's supposed to be, I think if like for me, if I sailed through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and we're like, easy, easy, another high <laughs> holidays in the book. So yeah. fun the whole time, all the time. I think I would be like, mm, maybe I missed, maybe I missed something to that. I could have spent a little bit more time thinking about. Right. I mean, the, the, uh, the asking of people, not just like, I think people have internalized, myself included, like the ask of like, may it be that if I've done anything to hurt you, you would forgive me. (laughs) Okay. We good. We good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, so that I did that. Um, but that's not really the thing. Like I love to tell the story to groups I teach of, um, my first year in rabbinical school, a beloved classmate, uh, who is such a good soul. I mean, the likelihood that he, I mean, look, everybody accidentally steps on another person's toe or bumps into someone, you know, literally or proverbially, you know, spiritually at times, even the most gentle of souls and the most generous of spirits. We all, but this guy, I'm telling you, like the likelihood, he was the least likely to have hurt anybody of anybody maybe I've ever met. And That, that freaks me out. that makes me a little concerned i don't know if you would have been friends (laughs) Uh, but exactly he um we had these cubbies in the mail room at the seminary like little mail slots everybody's name was on them and we we all come in one morning leading up to the high holidays to find i remember these this like uh blue slips of paper that he had copied on the copy machine and uh, everybody got one in their box. And it just said just that, like, if there's anything I've done to offend you in the past year, just may I have your forgiveness and know that I sincerely apologize. <laughs> I don't know. I've, if I got that, I would have been like, I, <laughs> I don't even want to know what you would have. Like, let's not. <laughs> let's just not. But yeah, everybody had a similar unspoken reaction. Uh-huh. And it became the like 
the topic of conversation. Look, let's say this. Uh-huh. None of the rest of us had put any slips, had had the thoughtfulness, the, the foresight to sure. put the slips of paper in everybody else's. And we probably had a lot more to apologize for than this guy. Let's just be honest. I'll speak for myself. Okay. And I can speak for a few others who will remain <laughs> nameless, too. Who could, speak from the eye also for the them. There <laughs> could, yeah, there could have been a few things that could have been apologized for as well. Uh, but... But I never forgot. I literally have never forgotten this because I feel like is the perfunctory better than the complete absence? Mm. You know, I mean, like, is is was it good enough better than the what the rest of us had performed or not performed or done or not done? It's of course it has aspects of like the blanket, the invulnerable, right. the extremely uh, impersonal. It has all of those aspects, and every listener, I'm sure, is catching on to the nuances. But yet, so the rest of us, that we started off our new year receiving this by, what, a little bit already, like, a little Lashon Hara, a little, like, yeah, you yeah. know, gossip around these slips of paper. Who, Meanwhile, which was intended to be a mitzvah, none of the rest of us had fulfilled. It was just a, became, a, like, a fascinating, yeah, like, totally. lab of... A great sociological experiment. Yeah, and so... Maybe that was the point. It's like, I'm going to rock the boat here. He wasn't a boat rocker. He's just so dear. Wow. So then you felt like a jerk if you were like, ugh, even a little bit because he's so dear. I would not have felt like a jerk. I would have, I would have asked him in my own personality. I would have been like, what's, what's the, what's happening here? What's the intention here? My friend. Yeah. You know, not in a, like a, in a mean way being like, what was the thought process here? Yeah. Of this thing. I'm sh- and you would have pulled it off. You would have been able to like have a great conversation with him because I believe you would have been able to be like, tell me about this. <laughs> so, but anyway, what you're saying is, so then, then there's like the personal, like I think some people have the courage to do, um, which is like to, to, again, walk up to somebody and not put the slips of paper, but be like, just want you to know that I'm thinking that if there's anything ever, but the if then statement doesn't really invite it, it also is a conversation ender. Like if I've, if there's anything I've done, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to hear about it, but if I'm just saying, I'm not promising that it was, I'm not a com- admitting that I might have, I'm just saying mm-hmm. if any apology that has an if in it is not my favorite. <laughs> I'm sorry if you felt. Well, that's not even an apology. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if you f- like, I'm sorry that you felt badly about that. But if, if, if in fact I did that, which I'm not a- admitting fully that I did, <laughs> Um, and if, in fact, that had an impact, which I'm not 100 percent willing to confess <laughs> that it might have. And if you felt a certain way, which I am not consenting is justified, then if all those happen, then I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's not that's, good. And not, and not really what the what my understanding of what Yom Kippur is even all about. No, because there's what you were just the word vulnerability feels like it's at the vulnerability is, you know, one of the most precious currencies we deal with in human relationship. And I don't think it should be spent willy nilly, but I feel like it, it without it that, and, and it's very important partner trust growth, connection, intimacy, real, real, something real between two people is, is nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's at the core of this holiday. I really do. But I think we're scared. We're scared or we've been we've been burned or we're not in touch with our own selves enough. We're not in relationship of intimacy that is, you know, strong enough or deep enough to to warrant that. And I think we're careful, justifiably. 
But like what you're suggesting, like I, I love it. So Suzanne's question was presumably she she noted a few rituals that she's familiar with: fasting, wearing white, which is one of my favorites. Just where I does love that come from? You know, it, it uh, there are different like we've talked about so many origin stories. Yeah. There are a couple origin stories that that are the most I think prominent. One is that um, we like the kittle, which is the um, a ritual garment that was traditionally for men on wedding days and and to be buried in even. Um, that it was like a, a a garment of ritual for very holy occasions, always white. And, um, and again, people were buried in them and, and buried in shrouds also, which are traditionally white. And Yom Kippur has an origin story of being almost like a, a death and rebirth. Mm. And so the white can be like symbolic of Got that, it. that to, this is the end of that life before this Yom Kippur and the renewal into a new life, a little bit of a death. Mm. Which is really eerie and yes, can give but can all, give you beautiful eerie. Yeah, beautiful eerie. And then the other is, is sort of the purity of it. You know, we go to white whenever we want to connote purity right. as human beings. Mm-hmm. We like white in that way um, for garments, and uh, I think that's what it ends up feeling like for me. Just like yeah. it feels clean. I feel like like like. I just like, I love it for, we, you know, we talked about this with Jeff Simon's question a few episodes ago with ritual garment and what do we feel? And I I love how garments can transport a feeling. And, you know, sometimes it starts to stress people out. Like I don't have anything white, you know? And I'm like, don't worry. Like, although what of the effort to a month before start thinking about that you want to be in that garment for this day? Um, and it's cool that you don't have anything already for it. What if it were special? What mm. if you like anticipated and then, so she mentioned fasting and wearing white. And we also talked a few, uh, episodes ago about other, um, eating and drinking, but also like not adorning, not bathing, not indulging in physical pleasures of the sexual nature and, you know, mm. things that that are in the same grouping as fasting, which I think people and the leather is in that grouping too, not wearing leather. So, you know, those are rituals of the day. Um, I really like long ago when I was experimenting with a much more um, observant mitzvah observant lifestyle around Shabbat, but like rabbis always have, like I I was interested in the possibility of not driving on Shabbat, but Mm -hmm. knew that that I was never going to be unless I lived on the campus or very close to where I work. Um, So started to do things in the car that I only do on Shabbat, like no car, no radio there at the time, radio, no, no sure. sound in the car, no talking on the phone in the car. So the drive was purely contemplative and it mm. would make me very itchy. Oh, oh my God. It was hard for like, <laughs> because it didn't happen. You didn't have all those crutches. Right. I mean, I would keep reaching for the knob. <laughs> like on the, th- I would keep, or I'd keep picking up the phone. Like it was like when you forget your phone at home and you have like phantom rings in your pocket. Yeah. Like, Did my phone? Oh, no, no, I don't have it. And I just couldn't. I mean, most of the drive, it was like I kept. It it became it had to become a discipline, and so I would do things like that. Mm. So, and on Yom Kippur now, I I can't fast entirely because I would not be able to cope, even if I had no responsibilities, let alone like one of the biggest responsibilities of the right. year. 
but I I do this strange thing where I eat food I don't really like. <laughs> <laughs> just just similarly put yourself in a state of discomfort. Yeah, or just f- like high like I don't really like bars. I don't like uh-huh. any kind of like protein bar or but like I need to just do that quickly in between things. Right. I really don't love peanut butter and jelly. I just I don't Oh, really? Mm-mm. Wow. Not really. Hot take. Yeah. Hot take. Okay. I just, I don't hate it. I just, I don't. You've never craved it. No. And I, I, it's very functional. We, you know, take it hiking and we do things and sure. it's like, I, you need the the fuel and it's easy and it's yeah. gloppy and it goes down and then you wash it down with a lot of water and you're done. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> frequently uh, that'll be what I'll choose because. It's not a pleasure. It's not a pleasure. And I feel like I just need to fuel enough. So and I usually don't eat the whole thing. Like I do these things where I feel like it's as we've talked about so many times in the spirit of what I think is the best interpretation of the scenario within the confines of how I can. And and I there's this wonderful principle for Shabbat, which is like, um, to do things differently than you would normally do. Mm-hmm. So if there are aspects of Shabbat um, that are difficult, the rabbis of our tradition taught, just do it backwards or different, mm. which is such a fun. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've loved to internalize this teaching of like, turn it on its head for the day. And mm-hmm. just what that does to you spiritually, what it does to your rhythms of either numbness or enervation that you're like sick of the same old grind. Right. Like Shabbat is supposed to shake us from that. And Yom Kippur is like the most, ex- you know, expansive version of that possible. Mm. So like on Yom Kippur, I love to listen to music too, getting ready in the morning. And like, I don't let myself do that. Like, it's just not even, even at home. Like I wow. just are quiet. So like, there are things that I'll do that have nothing to do with um, the relationship stuff, which I want to come back to. Cause it's so great. Um, but have to do with ritual. Cause I think that's some of what Suzanne is asking is mm-hmm. like on that day. So what of the morning routine would you adjust because it's Yom Kippur and even coming home because it's a 24 hour thing. Like mm-hmm. I love to have a cup of tea late at night before I go to bed. So like Yom Kippur, I'll come home from services and go right to the kettle and then, nope, like you, you know, I'm not going to have that. It's like a calming, yeah. sensual mm-hmm. experience. I'm not going to do that. Um, and it's so interesting that you do this and also have to be a, a pulpit rabbi on the same day. Like, does it throw you off your game or does it put you in the zone? Well, it's been so many years that I've, I mean, sure. I don't, I can't remember the last, I mean, I, I, it feels like in my childhood or, you know, cause I went to rabbinical school right out of college, I guess in college would be the last time mm-hmm. I did not have a leadership role on the day. Wow. So I think all of Jewish practice has happened in the context of the leadership role, but I I sincerely feel and and I know the congregation well I imagine the congregation senses it too like that's why I cannot stand the performative like I I I lean toward the non-performative aspect in mm-hmm. even in prayer leadership like the question in the middle of services or a moment to just take a break and and recenter ourselves in what we're doing because I want to be present to it. I don't want to just read the prayer book out loud to the congregation. Mm -hmm. Then the cantor sings the song. Then I read the prayer book. Then I read the Torah. Then I read the sermon. Like, I don't want to do that because I want to be in, 
in the moment. And, so, and most of the time, those things that are said in between are very spontaneous because I feel like it's a practice that I have around what are we doing? Like, I don't I don't want to just become like page this page that let's right. get out the Torah. And so you're not planning interstitial things. I never plan those. Oh, wow. That's, that's so much confidence in the fact that you like, you know, it's going to come. I, I know it's going to come if I if I invite it. Mm-hmm. If it's not coming, I have to like <laughs> the means that I'm not I, I got distracted. Ah, okay. The, you mean your your openness to it. Yeah, I have to stay mind. in that zone. Wow. It, the, all this reminds me of um w- the things I love around the high holidays that I've seen people do that I've learned from are often cross-cultural. Like in the synagogue I grew up in, there are a lot of Native American families in that synagogue and and mm-hmm. I remember this one Navajo family uh would come in Navajo traditional garb but an all white Oh my god! Which was beautiful, and then there was this Indian family that would come, and uh. the women would wear saris in all white, like just absolutely beautiful. And they would like, we, you know, my parents were friends with them. We would go have dinner with them, and or they would come over, and they would tell us about like a thing that was different that they would do different for the holidays, like leaving saffron out of something, you uh. know, or like um, smudging the house with a totally different kind of uh, you know burning herb than than they normally would. So for that week the whole house smelled differently, but also the energy was different. Like these, these cross-cultural things I find to be fascinating. So like, that's the kind of stuff that I find really interesting of like, really, um, as you were saying, what's, I can't think of the word, but just like totally like, it's not severing, but like turning around, like a U-turn on your norm, on your norm to like make, like I said in the very beginning of the thing that like smells or tastes or sounds different than normal so that it sticks with you. Yeah, that has that stickiness during that time. I find to be so fun to to explore. Uh, yeah, a deliberate interruption. A deliberate interruption is exactly right. Yeah. I, I think, and everything from smell, taste, rhythm of time, which we've talked about before too. I, I think Jewish rhythms and time are deliberate interruptions, and we're, certainly with Shabbat, we've talked about that. It's it's. It, it's not optional as the sun sets on a Friday afternoon to shut it down. It's not considered optional in Jewish practice. I know that, you know, in our lives we ha- make decisions and I'm not judging those in any way, just just to stay curious about why the the sages of our tradition were like, it's not up to you to make it optional because it's too hard. So like the reason you were impressed with this family's uh, commitment to it is because it's a discipline. They weren't done with their work. That's not why they shut it down. It didn't right. come to a good stopping point. It wasn't just like, we don't need any more money. We're mm-hmm. not interested in this work anymore. Or it's just came to a logical conclusion just in time. No, they had to like make a choice, anticipate the choice, plan for it, right. not negotiate it in the moment, not cave to like, oh, I wish I could. I mean, we we tried, but then this whole big account came through and, exactly. you know, we had this huge case. So what are we going to do? Whatever it was that their business was. And, um, you know, to, to just and we actually celebrate that. Gosh, I mean, what came, what Jewish summer camp hasn't talked about the incredible discipline of Sandy Koufax, <laughs> who like was able to say it's Yom Best. Kippur, non-negotiable. I mean, we 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 absolutely make him a hero in our Mm -hmm. tradition because we realize like as a minority and most of the time you'll hear me say like outside the walls of this synagogue, it is Tuesday 
And in here, it is Yom Kippur, and we all had to consent to that. We created that. We observe it. We will make it so. Because the difference between Yom Kippur and a Tuesday is the gateway of this temple and this community Mm -hmm. and what we have made together. Mm And, you know, to say it's all about family and we shut it down is because we said it's all about family. And then we, in fact, shut it down. Right. Which is the commitment to it. Yeah. It's so huge. It takes so much sacrifice, a thing that is hard for us to do in any case, but like an intentional sacrifice. Right. And I think we, you know, Suzanne's question was about intentionality. I think, you know, we know about a couple of personal rituals, but I I really recommend the principle because I, I've lived it and, and have had to make these adaptations. Like whether or not I end up with leather shoes, frequently not, but then they're just the best marketing ever, vegan leather, <laughs> which is plastic. Anyway, I mean, like, but I feel, I love, whoever Absolutely. thought of that expression, yeah. genius, because it makes you feel so principled in the <laughs> fact that you bought cheap shoes. Um, but that there are things that we can do and and they can be very personal because you it's it's a personal indulgence that feels like or, or just a rhythmic regularity that you've decided not to pursue on that day and to plan for it you know whatever it is like you can live without it but but it makes you focus and also quiet down some of the numbing distractions that are part of so many of our lives so i i definitely think social media break mm-hmm. technology break scrolling break of any kind email check break put in a away message it's it's fine people can wait 24 hours you know, turning off your phone entirely, especially if you're with your family, that they're in your presence, you're fine. And just even if you keep like, even let's say it's hard, like it is for me, it's hard. I'm like, I want to reach for it. I want, you're not even a social media person. Right. But I, I, I do have the, the like ping on the phone, you know, Pavlovian response. And I keep thinking I have to check it. And communication by email is, I mean, in between appointments all day long, I'm making sure that there, I mean, it's like a constant. So to take that away mm. is to, is f- uncomfortable. And the principle in Yom Kippur of Inui Nefesh, it's called Inui Nefesh. It's like almost like an affliction of the soul. But really, I, I, I choose to really, I prefer the translation of a, of a more laying bare of the soul like stripping away. It doesn't have to, you don't have to flagellate yourself, but I feel like strip away the easy comforts. And by easy comforts, I also mean, so the Talmudic easy comforts are like bathing, eating, sexuality expressions. But there are other easy comforts that the reason they're easy comforts are because they don't actually lead to great fulfillment, but like momentary stimulation or like distractions that end up like, just just busy, busy noise in our heads, in our lives, in our hearts even. And they take us away from if something gets hard, we pull out our phone. Uh, it, it's hard if something gets a momentary amount of boring. Yes. You're like, phone. Yep. I am too. Fully, fully that person. Yeah. yeah. Something happened the other day where I was sitting. I didn't have my phone. I forget what it was. I was waiting. I think I was waiting for like two or three minutes. <laughs> I we were separated the people I was with and I had to wait in one spot and I didn't have my phone. I thought 
I mean, like, I am. I would not be honest if I didn't say, like, I was agitated at best. Uh-huh. And, like... Your foot started tapping a little bit? Yeah, I'm like, what should I do for the next two or three minutes? I mean, I get... Oh, like, should I just think? Should I not think? Should I... I mean, like... It's imagine amazing. yourself amazing. in a line, yeah. waiting in a line, not you, Terry, but other people, waiting in a line and not having a phone. Maddening. Absolutely mad. So That's what, so great, what does that mean for whatever rituals we choose? I mean, we've sort of touched on a lot of different possibilities of just what it means for you. I think, again, I think Suzanne's question was about personal, and I think that that requires sort of personal reflection about what... What are the numbing and distracting and just very comfortable rhythms that that might want to be interrupted? And I, I think it'd be really fun to talk about this more, like even publicly, if people would mm-hmm. share these. I mean, their their own intentional disruptions. Yeah. I mean, I'd be really curious about that. And maybe in one of the Elul Shabbatot leading up, we should talk about that. That would be great. I would love to hear. I mean, I'm sure it's like people would definitely take cues from other folks and be like, oh, I could try that one i i think that'll be really interesting yeah to find out are you uh have you ever tried any that, that you're like that this one was not not it this one did not work for me well fasting did not work for me right, me either <laughs> i mean it, it really didn't and you know my husband bob fasts and he loves the fast i feel like i am convinced that we feel different things during the fast i we he is he definitely experiences like just a day of just feeling very like cavernous on the inside, I think, and open. <laughs> oh my and God. I know. Awful. <laughs> I think it feels good to him because I'm always like, Are you going to be okay? He's like, Yeah, I'm going to be okay again. Oh, okay. So um, I'm convinced that not everybody experiences a lack of food in the same yeah. physical way. Um, but no, I, I think also the reason that I, no, I can't think of. I, I just love to try a thing that fails. Mm. it's so it's so interesting you learn so much from it you're like why doesn't this thing not it's, it works for all these other people fasting does not work for me like what is it me is it, am i you know yeah but i think for first a lot of years i was like i hope nobody finds out that i don't fast or mm. i was really ashamed of the fact that i didn't have like the strength or something Oy. you know or that i wasn't really like willing to tough it out enough like what but and now I'm very open about it because I don't I don't want to live with the shame about it and I feel very like you said I like let's I'm very open to trying and if it doesn't work and like what does trying really mean well for me it meant like very near passing out on the bedroom floor of my dorm I mean I that's try I mean imagining trying to stand up in front of people in that state just wasn't gonna work but that's such good reminder and permission for people of like you could try a thing and it could not work and that's fine totally fine and I the whole point next year you can try something else try something else exactly and and don't try things that I think the definition of it not working for me is it becoming such a big thing that it truly distracts from what the point of the thing is the point of the holiday like it becomes if if for me fasting was an absolute necessity first of all i couldn't be a rabbi which seemed like a really big sacrifice to talk about a sacrifice Mm -hmm. and second like the anticipation of it dread anxiety you know i mean all those things like that can't be it so if that's it for you i would say like not the fast and what a beautiful vision it would be if if like looking at the congregation on Yom Kippur and seeing a thousand people and knowing that like every person is, is trying a different kind of 
intentional disruption for that day to see how it feels and if it helps them be reflective in the way that they want to and and extract meaning out of the holiday in in a way that will be lasting for them like what a powerful moment it could be for all of us to to see that together yeah i think that could be and one way that i like to do that actually in a way that it maybe feels to me when i see a sea of white I feel like people have made an intentional choice only with that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I love it. And I think, you know, it reminds me of why we do that at, uh, at camp on Shabbat too. Like just that we've totally. all gotten dressed for this mm-hmm. with the mindset, not of like, I'm wearing my fanciest things, but I'm, I've chosen this message of um, communal signifier mm-hmm. I, that I just, I like it. And I, I really like it. Well, I'm so excited to hear what Suzanne chooses to do and what everybody else is, is going to try this year in their own, um, in their own time for their own intentional disruptions. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super curious too. I hope you'll tell us. And also just, I do love what you brought at the beginning, Terry, which is there's Yom Kippur day itself, but really there's the month of Elul, which we're going to be celebrating with special Shabbatot. And the whole month of Tishrei and the 10 days, really the first 10 days of Tishrei being the Yamim Noraim, the Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. So I think also I love the expansive nature of the season. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's really not one day. One day is like the Yom Kippur is sort of the culmination, mm-hmm. presuming you've done the work. So not that it inspires the work, the opening of Elul, which is at the you know beginning of September this year is the invitation to start doing the work and that Yom Kippur then feels like you've earned that day of, of sort of reboot. Mm -hmm. And I love the suggestion of utilizing the season for more preparation and seeing what that does to affect the day of Yom Kippur. If you, if the work has sincerely been done, like what if the courageous ask of people most in your life, like, would you give me some feedback on the year? Not like and the the value of my human soul, but like <laughs> what things I do that upset you mm-hmm. and why, and what it would look like if if we could change that, if mm-hmm. I could change it, if what I would I learn? Change. What would I learn? Yeah. What can I learn about myself that I can't see through my own eyes inward? And gosh, people are so appreciative when you ask them that question too. Well, what do you recommend as the way to ask in in the most constructive, disarming, but but um, just easy for others too? Because I can imagine that there are times like if you if a person also is not used to we're not used to receiving, but we're maybe not also used to giving honest feedback. Yeah. Like, what if they're like, "Well, I don't want to hurt you." Right. I don't want to say anything that's going to hurt your feelings. The preface I usually use is around is telling people what I'm doing of like, I am sourcing feedback about my own behavior over the last few months from people I trust who I know care about me Mm -hmm. and want to make sure that I'm, you know, being the best me I can be. And I'm looking for one specific thing that you've seen me do, like say or do like a behavior or something I said that bumped for you that you were like, "Mm, that was kind of not cool or that was a little surprising or maybe that wasn't the right thing to say at the right time, you know, whatever that is, something that you just bumped on and you're like, Oh, it may be in the moment you would, you look back and be like, Oh, maybe I should have said something or 
I, if I did, if I said that myself, I hope someone would point it out to me. That's what I'm looking for. And mm-hmm. if I, if one of those things cross your mind over the next couple of weeks, let me know. I would love to know what that, what that one thing was, because then I'll, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reflect on it and see if that's something that I should change in the future. And, uh, you know, I would say mm-hmm. like, that's really great. Batting average, maybe three out of 10, two out of 10 people will actually follow up with me and be like, Hey, I thought of a thing. And, but that, you know, that, so it's kind of a volume game unless you have people that are really responsive to you. Um, but it is helpful because then oftentimes I'll see some themes come out mm. of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Some folks will be, I'll be like, oh, so maybe over the next last few months, I've been very prickly about this one thing, you know, and I wonder why that is, mm. you know, that is always helpful. And I will say it is challenging to hear that from the people you love, but you know, I, I, I have this thing in my life called the, a personal board of directors, which I'm <laughs> sure you, have you heard of the, this no. thing? Okay. The concept is basically is like an organization or a company has a board of directors and they are, they do oversight and they're invested in that company's success. Right. So a personal board of director is uh, a group mm-hmm. of people that are invested in your success and, um, and are doing oversight for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I have like these four people that have been mentors in my life over the last 20 years that you know the deal i made with them basically is i asked them is it okay with you if i call you throughout the year between like four and six times and ask you for feedback or run an idea past you or you know do kind of like a check with you of if i'm doing the right thing and and that's it and you'll be on my personal board directors one of four or five people and that's and i'll just call you out of the blue sometime and people are always very touched and honored to be asked that and i've had people say yes and i've had people say no and i call those people throughout the year and i'm like hey i did this thing and i think it was bad or i did this thing and i think it was good or (laughs) i have this idea what do you think of this idea and people just like give you honest feedback because they care about you and their only investment is you and your success and happiness and so that those are the people i ask first in this uh, one at the start of a little and then i branch it out to a variety of other people also wow takes a lot of work but well worth it it's it's brave and i think it is a complete capture of the intent of what this very ancient observance has been about which is about a combination of honesty for self and others and and love and belief faith in growth mm-hmm like, you know, the sometimes philosophical question of like, can, do people ever change? <laughs> like Judaism answered that question with this holiday season. And it is yes. And it isn't radical. It doesn't have to be radical. But the, the Jewish assumption and the definition of our sort of philosophy around hope is that we individually and collectively have what it takes to be better tomorrow than we were today. Not accidentally, not just because that's inevitable, but because with intention, practice, process, commitment, honesty, vulnerability, and love, it becomes possible. Yes. The divine intervention isn't that it just happens to you. It's that you, you know, put in the effort to do all of those things. It's so, it's so much effort. Yeah. But, but Judaism has always been like, we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's good, strong, and matters. So this holiday season is not easy. When 
when people <laughs> passively encounter it, I think that's when it's quote unquote boring. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, what could be less boring than this approach that we're talking about today? What could be less boring? Well, I would say that this re reminds me of your pet peeve of <laughs> people, the, the difference between attending something and <laughs> participating in something, right? Right. You, uh, my, you have said many times that like, it kind of drives you a little uh, up the wall when people are like, oh, I'm just uh, attending services or whatever. But <laughs> you want people to feel like they're actively participating in it. Right. And this holiday is specifically asking you to participate and not just attend. Yeah, I think attend is the lowest bar verb we could use for engaging with our faith that we possibly got to attending. It could, there's, it could be nothing, no word more passive than I physically went, than I physically left. <laughs> That's what attending does. You physically arrive and then you physically leave. And what happens in between who even cares <laughs> i came i attended so i was very excited for much participation yes in the month of Elul. yes well thanks suzanne for the question thank Appreciate you it. so much we'll see you next time everyone <laughs>